I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. This year has been brutal for just about everybody, but it's especially hard for kids. Experts say children are regressing because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and teenagers might be having the hardest time of all. Chronicle reporter Annie Weinstein has a new piece for the Chronicle's Throughline Project out now. It looks at how kids are coping with the pandemic and how it's likely to shape them for years to come. Annie Weinstein, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So for readers who don't know what the Throughline Project is, can you explain it? Yes. So the Throughline Project um, is a limited series chronicle project that it aims to sort of explore the Bay Area of the not too distant future. So imagining what might happen at the quote end of all of this next (laughs) year in two years, three years. And so there's um, eight weeks and eight issues. Some of the past stories have talked about future of policing in Berkeley, the future of prisons in California, and just in general, futures sh- futurists sharing their kind of forecasts for what's ahead. So this issue was about the negotiation of space and movement in the Bay Area, and we focused on children in their worlds. That's great. So, so much of journalism is telling the readers what happened today and yesterday and maybe tomorrow, but the Throughline Project is reporting, you know, on far into the future. And I was wondering if working on this project makes you feel better or worse about this dreadful year that is 2020. I think, you know, I think the overly simplistic answer might be that it's both. And I maybe that's something that other people are feeling too. Um, You know, I think especially now in this very moment, like when we're alone at home and we're sort of watching this vortex of the pandemic and wildfires and police brutality, like to think about a future that would be safe for anyone, that would be a place uh, we could all live in harmony seems sort of impossible. But I think at the same time, the beauty of the Throughline project is that People are so, both the journalists working on it and the experts that they're talking to and the people that they're talking to are just so sort of, you know, they're so dedicated to kind of thinking meaningfully about creating a better future, um, that one that attends to sort of all the things that set us up for how horrific the current moment is. So I think in that way, it feels I wouldn't say exciting or even hopeful, but kind of like there is something on the horizon. And I think that especially as we are so stuck in the present, you know, the the present terrifying moment, Mm -hmm. that feels a little bit better. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you have a a really fascinating yet also depressing story out now um, that looks at what the COVID-19 pandemic is doing to children. And it talks about how their world has shrunk with school closed and a few social interactions and not seeing extended family and friends um, and what that's likely to mean for their future as they grow up. And what were some of the general themes that you found? Yeah, well, you know, I think the first thing to say is that when I was researching this, the, the kind of big question was we were sort of trying to look at, like, what will be the habits that are now ingrained in young children who are being raised during this time? And what might be the things that they sort of that imprint on them that they take with them into the future and we were sort of looking at other corollaries like kids who grew up in the great depression mm-hmm. um you know even just the other day my parents and i were talking about their grandparents who grew up um during the siege of leningrad um, that caused you know extreme famine and starvation and and the way that that affected forever how they thought about food, how they thought about waste. So we were trying to think of like, what would be these cultural markers that 
uh, this generation of of pandemic children Mm -hmm. uh, would experience. And I think the biggest theme was that it turns out almost, you know, surprisingly and unsurprisingly, like everything, like every other facet of the pandemic, it's so hard to know because there are, I think, very few universals in this experience, especially for children. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we're seeing this a lot when, you know, now, you know, surrounding the national conversation about pandemic pods, um, thinking about the life of a child and their relationship to space, who is, uh, you know, sheltering in place in a beautiful, you know, mountain house with their family and friends and extended bubble, um, who, you know, for whom maybe school wasn't that important. Maybe they're getting the social relationships that they need. Um, and then maybe someone else who's living in a tiny apartment um, with a single parent and doesn't have a backyard. So I think even when you look at like urban cities, rural cities, we're finding that it's still really hard to track exactly how kids might be affected. But I think the one theme that we did find that seemed central across any any and all experiences for children right now is that their relationships to others and people outside of their pod, whether that just be their caregivers or, or their extended pod, will and have been probably fundamentally altered. And so in talking to both parents and psychologists, um, some themes that came up were a lot of regression. Um, so that this time, that the stress of this time, even just unconsciously, um, was creating a lot of regression in kids. So kids who could go to the bathroom on their own, kids who had kind of graduated, so to speak, out of baby talk, kids who could sleep on their own, that a lot of that was reverting mm-hmm. back. And and then from the parents' end, a fear around children's sort of overgeneralizing physical intimacy and um, growing up and now in this time, you know, being being kind of pushed away from other kids in an intimate way and, and that the worry around how they might how that might affect their comfortability um, or their their fear of others in kind of this really palpable way um, over time. But I think the biggest theme was the paradox of uh, how awful and excruciating this is for so many parents and kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how kind of normal and calm and um, maybe even positive this this is for other families who have more resources or just different experiences. Yeah. I was just going to share with you an anecdote um, that a friend of mine with two little girls posted on Instagram. Um, Her her daughter uh, decided to write down all the words that she had learned in 2020. And um, they include uh, social distancing, distance learning, Zoom call, mask, fire evacuation, (laughs) social bubble, it goes on and on, learning pod, COVID test, uh, power outage, uh, lightning, thunder, remote work. So we at least they're learning a lot of new words, even though they're all pretty miserable. Wow. No, and that's interesting, too, because someone, I I can't remember who it was that I talked to, maybe a psychologist, was saying that uh, one of the parents uh, had mentioned that their child, I think she was four or five or something, had used the word glimpse, Mm. um, and they were really impressed. And I don't know how that fits into the pandemic conversation, (laughs) but, but just kind of being around kids and being now suddenly immersed in like the world of adult speak, I think is yeah. also both maybe a good thing and has, has gains, but also 
maybe is not really the right environment all the time for kids who need to be around people their age. Yeah, it's so strange for me to be making work calls from home and, you know, talking about death and dying and COVID tests. And I'm like, I probably shouldn't be talking too loudly right now (laughs) because my kids are around. Um, Yeah. You had a really powerful anecdote in your story about a woman named Angie Martinez who lives in a small apartment in Green Bray and has a four-year-old son who's autistic, which brings up a whole nother layer of all this. Um, Can you tell me about that story and how his autism has played into this? Yeah. So yeah, Angie lives with her son um, and her husband and her daughter and her daughter's 14 years old. Um, but she, she also works full time from home. Her husband um, works full time out of the home. He's a, he's a buyer at Whole Foods. And so he, at some point in the pandemic was working seven days a week and really, really long hours. So she was tasked like so many mothers um, with both being a full-time caregiver and parent and teacher and also just, you know, kind of high-powered uh, professional while all doing this from a small apartment. And, you know, what what sort of struck me in her story was the, the sort of swiftness of both how uh, the, you know, how the kind of bad effects or the negative effects of the pandemic um, had impacted her son and then how quickly they went away when a di- when a variable changed. So at first when he was like, you know, doing distance learning, um, a distance so- sort of class with his classmates, she said that he was the most aggressive that he'd ever been, that he, um, she, she made kind of a joke about how she started making a list of all the things that he'd broken and on it was the Chromebook and the TV and the toilet. And she kind of said that he didn't really know what to do with himself. And I think that really gets into this idea of like both the mental and physical space are shrinking, that there just wasn't enough space for him to roam around, for him to feel comfortable um, and that his social space had been so impacted. Um, so that was a really big, that was really exhausting yeah. for that family. Um, but when he, over the summer, I guess Marin had a summer program open up um, and he started going to it and it was in person. And it just, she said, it was like a light switched on for him. All of the aggression went away. Um, that same kind of regression also reverted um, back to its normal. Um, and... And so upon the news that her son would have to go back to distance learning in the fall, it was just this worry around like that light turning off again mm-hmm. um, and the impacts of that that aggression and that sort of restlessness um, just on both her son and just the rest of the family. Um, so she had a really she, she has a really sort of difficult case. Yeah. I think that's quite common, though, um, among all kids that uh, talking to friends of mine, I think a lot of kids had a really nice time over the summer. Just, you know, camps were open or maybe they went on a road trip or just did something different, um, could get outside more. And uh, I think everybody's worried about distance learning starting up again and everybody being chained back to their computers. So that's rough. Um but you talked to a clinical psychologist who said that teenagers had been hit particularly hard. And why do you think that is? Well, I, from kind of, from, you know, my conversations with quite a few psychologists, um, it sort of seems like at every step of the way in a child's development there, you know, they kind of talk about these developmental tasks that um, are sort of paramount to that age. Um, and so all the way from like what infants need and how the pandemic might 
affect their relationships to others, their growth, their development, um, to then teenagers, which at first I hadn't really thought of. We were mostly focusing on young children. Um, But something that the psychologist said um, was that something that's extremely hard for teenagers right now is that sort of unlike younger children who are mostly at the stages where they are wired to be with their families and um, wired to seek that support and to seek that uh, attachment. Um, And for whom, you know, most of their world is their parents and their family and their house um, and their sort of direct small circle. Teenagers are really at the, at the important, they, they are sort of tasked with this important, important developmental stage of negotiating risk and exploring their independence and, and separating from their family and separating from the home, separating from their, you know, uh, finding their themselves through other people. Um, and that's really kind of, that's, that's, that's really integral to their, to their developmental stage. And so now as they're sort of chained to their families more so than they maybe want to, um, and especially like, um, seniors who are, at really that point where they're imagining their world outside of their home mm-hmm. and outside of their, maybe their hometown and debating to go to college and, um, are, are sort of ready to launch off to, to stunt them at this very moment. Um, is, I think it, it was, it was really, it created a lot of cognitive dissonance, um, for kids and regression or for teenagers, excuse yeah. me, and regression as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a deep, I think, loneliness that's harder sometimes for teenagers Mm -hmm. to feel comfortable expressing with their families. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Heather Knight and I'm back with Annie Weinstein. You talked to one teenager, um, Enola Talbert, who found some surprising solace by befriending an elderly neighbor. And I thought that was a, a really sweet story. So can you tell listeners about that? Yeah. So this uh, teenager, Enola, she's a senior at Mountain View High. And um, she went through a really difficult period in March and April, like a lot of us did, um, where, it, you know, her mom described it as a pretty a severe de- depressive phase. And she told me that, you know, she sort of in March, she kind of said goodbye to her friends, thought she would see them, um, thought she could have sort of a future look to look forward to finishing her uh, junior year, I guess it was. And, um, and then kind of it all, it all crumbled. And it, she literally created like a, f- a fort in her room to sort of get away from the outside world. Um, but then slowly uh, she started, you know, she started this kind of friendship with her um, elderly neighbor, and this was a, a a woman that she she had they they lived near each other for a long time. But you know, like a lot of neighbors, they never really said anything past mm-hmm. hi or how are you. Um, and one day she saw, as she described it, like um, an ambulance outside of the or first a nurse outside of the house, um, and then an ambulance outside of the house, and then finally the the neighbor just sitting down by herself without Mm -hmm. her husband um, and looking really sad. And I think she put together that the husband was sick and had passed away um, and to lose someone at this point uh, in life and um, in during shelter in place. I think Enola really 
um, felt for her mm-hmm. and um, and made an effort to come over there. And they kind of just sparked this friendship and companionship because both had been kind of cut off from their typical social worlds. And, um, you know, she, she sort of says that that it became the highlight of her day and um, and I think opened her up. Like, I think the paradox to all of this, too, is that as both of their worlds had shrunk a little bit, like it had also expanded. Um, right. They had seen the people, sp- decided to spend time with people that they wouldn't normally have. And so in that way, there's this kind of push and pull mm-hmm. that I think she felt specifically. That's really sweet. And to uh, further end on a positive note, um, what are some things that parents can be doing now to make the pandemic easier on their kids? Well, you know, to preface this, I should say that I don't have any children <laughs> myself. And so even to write this story felt, you know, on some level, I'm 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 very viscerally cut off from the um, I imagine extremely stressful experience of of being a parent. And so I think the first thing I'll say is that I think and this is something that just I've noticed from most of my conversations with experts and parents is just the counterintuitive thing might be just be less hard mm-hmm. um, on each other and themselves. Um, you know, so so many people have talked about this sort of impossible task of being a parent um, to be all of these things and to be negotiating that along with all of the stress and anxiety and fear um, and pressure of just like being an adult mm-hmm. right now in general, being a person. Um so I think that like the kindness is um, both really important and I think helpful for children because a lot of the psychologists talked about how kids um, so, you know, just whether whether they realize it or not, they pick up so much of their parents' moods and anxieties and fears. Yeah. So um, I think trying to kind of balance both like the caution um, and the optimism, um, which I'm sure as you probably, <laughs> you know, relate to, I'm sure is very difficult. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, helping children, a lot of them said like helping them navigate the transition out of this will be really key um, because there's already sort of been a transition into this, but out of this, like, well, to go back to kind of the beginning, how do we, how do we not overgeneralize our fears around physical intimacy anymore? How do we, um, how do we take the things that we've learned about our relationships to others and recognize those as just a part of the past and not something we need to take into the future? Um, but and then I, on a practical level, everybody I talked to talked about routine. I think that was harder in the summer um, when, you know, there maybe kids couldn't go to camp or um, they they didn't have a trip planned and they just were sort of spending endless hours at home. Um, but just trying to establish, I think, a routine is is, is helpful. Um, m- most everyone mentioned that, um, you know, just imposing like bedtimes and mm-hmm. wake ups and and meals together and those sort of things to make the days feel a little bit less endless. Yes. I will tell my sons when they argue with me over bedtime that it is for their own good. <laughs> the experts say so. <laughs> so how are you yourself keeping sane during the pandemic and, you know, setting aside the kid thing? Do you have any tips to share? Yeah, I mean, I, I think interestingly, like the routine has helped me too. Um, 
I didn't, other than going to work, I didn't have any real routine before this. And I think um, that might just be the way that my personality is wired. But I think having some sort of routine, um, making meals together with my roommates, waking up at the same time. I actually unconsciously wake up at the same time every single day. And I'm not going to say when because I'm on the record. <laughs> but um, I'll get it but, out of um, you. <laughs> um, but I think like... Also just organizing for my days to have a little bit of like organization and guardrails has been helpful um, mentally for me. And then I think, um, you know, in the spirit of total SF, like I've been finding myself <laughs> going on a lot of really long bike rides, things that I typically didn't get the chance to do before all of this because I was consumed with, you know, other mindless activities of the weekends and the weekdays. So I think just like going on really long, sprawling kind of uh, you know, f like keeping the never ending feeling to the things that I enjoy, yeah. um, ha has been, has been really helpful. And then I think also I would be insane if I didn't have my relationship. So I think just feeling both very thankful for them and, and recognizing that I would, would be very, I would be in a totally different space if I was more isolated, but, but also just keeping those new and, and as kind of connected as I can has been helpful. Yeah. Great. Well, in terms of bike rides, I highly recommend um, the Great Highway if you have not been there yet. Yeah, that's that's a really great one. I feel like I'm always on the wrong side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know I could just switch that. Um, no, that's been really great. I've been happy that they opened it up. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's always nice to talk to you and I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, Heather. Same to you. And I hope you're staying sane too. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Annie Weinstein for joining me today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening.